0: Okay, this morning I'm going to read from Ezekiel, the third chapter. And we were talking this morning about how us here, Jean and I, and Juddie and Gabe and Cynthia and Nicole, we were here with different people. How God had us with different people and what He was doing with those people. And Barbara was sharing about how, how God was. She was watching how God was doing things in her family, the adults, and even even in the kids. And I was thinking that this morning. This is Ezekiel 3, verse 1. It says this, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that which you find. Eat this roll and go speak unto the house of Israel. What he's teaching here is consume the word, take it in, meditate, masticate it, assimilate it, the word of God, and let it be your experience. And then he said, so I opened my mouth. And this speaks of obviously faith and, and dependence and grace. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat the roll. The word of God that was on there. And then he said unto me, son of man, cause your belly to eat. And fill your bowels with this roll that I give you. And what he's telling him is, he's saying, he's saying take this into your mind assimilate it, meditate on it, and let it come out in your affection towards with my heart towards these people that I'm going to send you to. He said, Then I did eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And this obviously is the love of God for people. We were talking about that this morning. And of course in Second Peter three and verse nine, he's not willing that any should perish. And we see that again even in the 18th chapter of Ezekiel. If you look at verses 30 to 33, around in that, you'll see the very heart of God. So he said, it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And then, of course, that is the measure of God in his heart for people in giving his son, Jesus Christ, who is the word. Verse four, it says, and he said unto me, son of man, go, get you unto the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. And that's very important too, because we know that even the word, when that word, who Christ is, dawns on us experientially, and we see this in Second Peter 1 and verse 19. We have that word that's a word of more sure than prophecy, which has to do with judgment. We have a more sure word that has finished uh, the judgment that should have come upon us. Christ took that on Calvary. And when he said to take, you know, to take my words, again, this brings out that this word that was spoken, even here and even up until Second Peter 1 and verse 20, it's never to be with any private interpretation, meaning even for us as believers. We're never, we're never to mix fleshly interpretation of the word of God, the purity of it, because then obviously it loses its sweetness even though at times the message can seem to be hard, but we shared this the other day. Really, it would be the will, the will of the individual that that would be hard. So he said, and speak with my words unto them. This is brought out again in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verses 5 through 10. Jeremiah was only to speak the word that God gave to him, and then he was only to go to those that God would send him to. And this is what the picture is going on here. Then in verse 5, look who he's sent to. For you are not sent to a people of a strange speech. And we'll get into this at a different time, strange speech and what that means. And of a hard language, you know, hard to understand. It's not, it's not hard. You're not going to go to them and speak things that are hard. To understand, because you yourself know that when you took it in, it was very sweet, wasn't it? When you submitted to it. It's not hard. But to the house of Israel, not to many people of a strange speech, meaning a language they haven't heard, and how God would deal with Israel when they rejected Him, to be carried away to the first in the Egyptian bondage, a language that they didn't understand. It was hard. And then the Babylonian captivity also. Not to many, to many, to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent you to them, they would have hearkened unto you. Verse 7. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto you. They will not listen to you. Why? For they won't listen to me. They won't hear the word and submit to me. It's not that they didn't hear it. It's that they heard it and refused to submit to it. Now that's to the unsaved, but also to a believer who functions in the flesh. Right? That's who I send, I'm sending you to. Watch what it says. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted hard-hearted. This harkens back to Psalm 95, 6 and 7. They are his sheep. We are his sheep. Israel was his sheep, sheep of his pasture. But they refused to hear his voice. They hardened their heart. And he would say, listen to what they say. Listen to what the Spirit is saying through the word. Again, he had to say that to Hebrew Christians. They were born again, But they were going right back to legalism again. Of course, that's the flesh. They were going right back to it. Again, the same thing in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 and down through. Right down through. They are impugn and hard-hearted, Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces. That's what he was telling Jeremiah. He told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 and verse 8. He said, don't be afraid of their faces. Because even even when you preach the word at times, people may not verbally express in words how they feel about what you're saying. But it can be nonverbal on their face. It can be a nonverbal communication. Of not receiving it. Again, this is Isaiah 3 and verse 8 and 9. It's their countenance will testify against them. Meaning a person that refuses the word of God. The sweetness of it. Refuses it because of the hardness of the will. Their countenance is the very thing that condemns them. Their own countenance will testify against them. Will reveal their very unhappiness and of their unsubmitted will. He said, so, in verse 8, he said, Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces. Look at what it says. And your forehead strong against their foreheads. In the book, Images, and I do believe this will be the second part of that message about images. Forehead plays a tremendous amount of what, this, of what meaning is and what it has to do with image because of what is located in the forehead. But he said in verse 9, as an adamant harder than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not. Fear them not. Now there's a boldness when you preach the word of God, not a boldness of the flesh. No. None whatsoever. It's not that. But when you preach the word, there's a boldness in it. It has to do with love. In first John four seventeen, where we have boldness because we have we're like Christ in that sense. But there is a boldness, not a reaction, but a strong response that's not moved by a single thing when you preach the word. And you do it with the sweetness of what he has. Given you and with those that he sends you to. And he said, As an adamant, harder than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks. That's the nonverbal communication. Many times throughout my life, even in my life during the years, you've preached the word, and people don't have to say much their countenance and their nonverbal communication speaks loud and clear and that's why he told jeremiah that and that's why he's telling ezekiel be don't be dismayed at their looks though they be what a rebellious house that's who we sent them to now watch what it says in verse 10 moreover he said unto me son of man All my words that I will speak unto you receive in your heart and hear with your ears. Now, what is he saying here? What is he saying here to Ezekiel? This is what the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, was talking to a very young, very young pastor. Very young and this is what he was telling him. And this is what he was telling Ezekiel. And this is, if you follow this through, you'll see in First Timothy, the fourth chapter and verses one and two. Before we'll get to four through 16 to the end of the chapter. This is what it says. Now, the spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, speaks expressly, clearly and precisely That in the latter time, some will depart from the faith. All those preachings and teachings about Christ, who he is in his person, nature, character, and essence, and what he's accomplished in his work. Even for those that were rebellious, no wonder it says in Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen, He Christ led captivity captive, and He gave gifts unto men. And then it says, and even to the rebellious, it says that in in Psalm sixty-eight, and verse eighteen. It doesn't say that in Ephesians four, verse eight. It doesn't. It leaves out the rebellious because He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to us in Ephesians 4 and verse 8. He led a whole train of captives captive through his love. But here we see they will depart from the faith, the faith, all the teachings. And when we do, when we do, we give heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, teachings of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now you follow it down through, and this is what he was telling Timothy. It was the same thing he's telling Ezekiel in Ezekiel, the third chapter, and in the tenth and, and uh, tenth verse. And this is what he was telling Timothy. And remember, what he, when he gave that role in Ezekiel 3, 1 and 2, he said, son of man, the role, which was the word of God, take it in, take it in and allow it to become part of you. And this is what he's telling Timothy. He's saying in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14, neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of hands. This is not ordination as some would make it. With the laying on of hands of the presbytery, meaning they're just recognizing the gift that God gave, that that God gave them through Christ giving him that gift, by the way. Laying on of hands. And then he said, Meditate upon these things. That's what he's telling Ezekiel. Take it in. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. Meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them in submission that your profiting may appear to all. But, But young Timothy and young people, take heed unto yourself and unto the teaching, the doctrine, the messages, the truths of the person of Christ and the work he's accomplished. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will both deliver yourself. He's already born again. You are going to continue to deliver yourself from those fleshly lusts. You will continue to deliver yourself and those that hear you. That's what he was saying to him. So God is sending Ezekiel to a very rebellious people. He loves them, but extremely rebellious and hard-hearted. Okay? And that's what he said. Son of man, now we're back in Ezekiel 3, verse 10. All my words that I will speak unto you receive in your heart, your mind, lay, mind, And hear with your ears. Submit. Instantly submit it. Because obedience, delayed obedience is disobedience. And go and get you to them of the captivity. You see this? They're captive. I saw it with loved ones yesterday. They're captive. They're captive. Are they captive of Christ yet through not, not receiving Him? No. As their Savior? No, that's not, they're not Ephesians 4, verse 8. They haven't been captured by his love and been made in Romans 8, verse 37, more than a conqueror. But when it says here, they're of the captivity, bearer of the captivity in Egypt and in Babylon. And what this is bringing out, this is bringing out again, remember. 2 Timothy, okay, is teaching how to function in order as an individual in the midst of disorder. And so he's teaching, again, when the context here, we all should study to show ourselves approved unto God in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. But the context in the isagogics are an apostle to a young pastor. And here we see in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24, this is what he's telling Ezekiel. He says this, and 2.24, and the servant, and you know what a servant is, is doulos, one whose will has been submitted and swallowed up and taken over by the will of his master. Meaning his will is now one with the will of his master. Slave, right? Doulos. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all, apt to teach. Apt here means highly skillful and patient, long-suffering, forbearing. eh. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. <laughs> what was Israel doing the whole time? Were they opposing God? No, the enemy had them opposing themselves. And he can do that with a Christian too, when, we, when, when any of us function in the flesh. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God, peradventure, will give them repentance through submitting their will, to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover or take themselves awake and that's what recover means, awake up and see what's really going on in their lives. Awake. Themselves out of the snare of the devil. Look at what it says. Who are taken alive, captive by him, by his will. See, when our will isn't submitted, then the enemy and my will isn't submitted, given over to Christ, and held captive in love, then the enemy holds my will captive. The unsaved and the flesh that's in the believer that they're not of, but can function in through lack of submission in Romans 8 and verse 9 and so forth. So here it, he said in verse 11 of Ezekiel 3, and get you to them of the captivity, unto the children of your people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. Listen, this here in Ezekiel 3 and verse 11 is what he's teaching a young pastor and what God teaches pastors and teaches today to do is here in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. I charge you, There's a charge that God gives and that Christ is and gives. Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, okay, who will judge? Is there any judgment for us? No, none. But for the dead, yes, at the great white throne, There will be be a proper kind of a judgment, which is no judgment, again, at the Beamer's seat in 2 Corinthians 5.10, but there'll be a judgment for the unsaved in Revelations 20.11-15. He will be the judge. At his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. This, if we understand the, the original Koine Greek, it's a present imperative. He's not asking, he's commanding it. Love is commanded, it's present imperative. Right now you preach the word. I don't care if they reject it or not, I don't care what their faces are toward you or not, you preach the word. That's what it's teaching us. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Why? With all long suffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. No, nope. they'll just do away with it. They'll turn away from it because they're going to be taught by demons. You, we see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And then the time will come when they won't. But after their own lusts, and this happens to Christians in the flesh, by the way. After their own lusts, they will heap to themselves teachers, meaning they're going to go where someone won't hurt their lust patterns. They won't involve it. Matter of fact, they'll encourage it. Very, very bad. And very sad. They will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You can't, that means insatiable lust that they want tickled constantly. And they will turn away their ears from the truth. That's the truth. That's the Greek article saying, see this? This truth. This truth and no other. Ho Elathea is what it says in the originals, is the truth and will be turned unto fables. But you, young man, watch in all things, endure afflictions, because you know you're appointed to them, and do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. Not only preach and teach the word, but when God, through his grace, with you resting in love, gives you the opportunity to tell someone about Christ, you do it. You do it. We'll close here with Ezekiel. So go, and whether they, in Ezekiel 3 verse 11, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, doesn't matter. You preach the word. Then the Spirit took me up, and I heard behind me a voice of a great rushing, saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from this place. I heard also the noise of the wings of the living uh, creatures, and, and of course these are the angels, okay, that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels, God's government through these angels, and we'll get into this at a different time, there's there's two there's two types of angels, the seraphim, which is mentioned in Isaiah the sixth chapter, and then there's cherubims, and that's mentioned here, and especially in the first chapter of, of Ezekiel in the tenth chapter and we see it right here and one one has to do with the worship around around Christ. And we see that in Isaiah the sixth chapter, another has to do with his throne. In and, and his work, and we see that even again in the type in Exodus 25, 17 to 22, where the, the cherubims, the two wings, are overlooking the mercy seat. And we'll get into that again at a different time. Then, in verse 14, So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I was in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong against me. This morning when I read this, I said, what is this, Lord? And he immediately gave me the, the, his understanding, obviously through the scriptures about this, that we can preach the word. And there can be anger. That's what this is talking about in the Hebrew. There can be anger. When you see people living in sin. Okay? You, can be, you can be angry. And so at times you preach the word... And where people are living in sin, and you, you preach the word, and when they're not intreatable, they'll take the word that you're preaching it against them. When you're preaching, you know what's behind it, and it's the enemy. In their experience, even with believers, that's captured them, their will, because they live in the flesh, and then they think it's a, that you're preaching against them, or he's mad at me, or something. And these all these things are going on when you're preaching the Word, but nevertheless, should we continue, should we continue to do it? Yes, but he said that I was bitter and in the heat of my spirit. Now this is bringing out be angry in Ephesians four and verse twenty six Be angry, but don't sin. in other words, you can have godly anger, but it never has to do with the flesh. there's no condemnation in anger at the person, but what's behind it. You know, believers come and you have to deal with them because in any area that we function in the flesh, that experience, that experience is the will has been captured by the enemy. And you're angry at it and you're angry at sin. And so this is what it's saying here and teaching us here. See, see, there was bitterness and I was in the heat of my spirit, but you know what happened? So that he wouldn't function in his natural anger and so that we don't function in the flesh. Look, it says, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. What's that? That's the grace of humility, the humility of grace. That's 1 Peter 5, 6 and James 4 and verse 6. He constantly, he had to humble him through grace immediately and had to remind him that even in this hard message that he had to give to a backslidden nation, the word that he took in personally was sweet. There's a sweetness in it of the love justice, the unconditional love and grace of God. His hand was, the, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And if, if his hand is upon us, we know it's the hand of grace. First Peter 5, 6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, listen, in his time, due time. And when we trust him for his due time, then we cast all our anxiety, all our cares upon him and then we do realize that he does care for us and we don't have to live in fear or insecurity or anxiety his hand was strong upon me verse 15 and this is what it says then i came to them of the captivity of telabib that dwelt by the river by the river kebar and i sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. He was taking in what was happening to them. He was taking it in, taking it in, watching where people were at. It's kind of like what we were doing in in, in a sense, seeing where people are at, and then we were seeing what God was towards them. I sat there seven days a a full, fullness to take in the fullness of where they were at and yet God's heart towards them in the completion of his love for them. And then it says, and it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman. Prayer, praying for people. I've made you a watchman. This is brought out in Acts 6 verse 4. This was brought out in first. First uh, Corinthians sixteen, thirteen, and fourteen. Watchmen. We watch. We don't judge. We don't condemn. But we watch, and are available for opportunities as we rest in in the grace of His love, without striving, and to to have a word to minister to them. And we see that in Colossians four and verse five and six, speak a word in season to them that are weary. And, and speak of the grace there, having our, our speech uh, seasoned with grace and, and salt where it says there, and that's, that's grace. And we see that again brought out in Ezekiel 8 and verse 22. I, I should say uh, Ezra 8, verse 22, by the way. Where the, gray, where the salt was put in. Every other thing was measured in that sacrifice. And the only thing that wasn't measured was the salt, and that spe- spoke of grace. You can put as much grace into it as you can. And so he said, I've made you a watchman under the house of Israel there. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth. And that's what we need to do first and foremost. It has to come in and take precedence in our own life. Hear the word at my mouth and give them warning, warning from me. Not condemnation, not an angry evil God, but a God of love and justice and presenting it this way. And that's what I saw, and we'll get into it at a different time on on foreheads and and really what that means and how it is so brought out in in the scriptures. Uh, I remember sharing that with Mike, Mike. Hmm, probably two three years ago three years ago uh, about how that was going to be part of uh, of image in the forehead and how it functions and how it's brought out but I just loved what God was doing in in all of our lives you know as we got together with different people and I again I saw that his working even in just even when we're not aware of it and I was able to just just, just kind of like stand back while i was talking to this other man who lost his wife but just watching the three men around around the motorcycle and i just was watching what god was doing and and just looking at it and i could just see his work i could just see his work and opening up uh, this this man opening him up and i just thought it was phenomenal so father we thank you for the word this morning for your faithfulness uh, once again and how you just constantly give us what we need constantly and of course we have to come into your presence because because if we don't we'll make we'll, we'll we'll make what we think are our needs which are not but only when we come into your presence can you truly give us what our true need is father and thank you for this opportunity this morning for whatever you have for us uh, for everything about it everything that you lead us in is a tremendous opportunity. And you always lead us in the finishedness of your love, your grace, and your peace. Thank you this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.